Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. I'm Brian Zaporek, and today we're going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers' struggles, the New York Knicks' surprise contenders, and the Indiana Pacers actually looking decent after the Paul George trade. Uh, before we get underway, wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We would love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. Joining me today, as always, is my trusty co-host Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. I've just come home from, uh, you know, being at the mall with my son and my wife, which is particularly nice today because it's Halloween, so I missed out on all the kids coming up and knocking on the door. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer. (laughs) This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons' frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. Or which I usually hate. And it's because Halloween is not like a Danish tradition at all. Mm -hmm. We've kind of imported it and I hate it. Because kids come up and, and knock on the door and say trick or treat, and they're not even wearing a costume. I'm like, no. really? Yeah. Like, it's just become this this thing. They just show up in their normal, regular clothes. Like, I'm going to give you a candy bar for looking normal, you little right. dipshit? No. <laughs> That's, huh. I, would, I didn't even realize Halloween had made it to Denmark in the first place, but... Yeah, hell no, don't give them candy. They gotta work for it. Right. right. Yeah, we're, we're a little behind. I'm, I'm waiting on Cheers to get premiere here at any point. <laughs> you know, I'm actually worried because I'm working later and my wife is working until 7.30 today, so I'm going to be manning the door for the early trick-or-treaters and uh, it's not going to be good because there's going to be a lot of sports news going on as well. So ban Halloween, basically. But yeah. we, we will yeah. spare you from our candy hot takes because those have been all over Twitter. Uh, instead... Uh, our third co-host, Sarah Chalea, could not join us today. She will be back next time. She's out so, trick-or-treating, probably. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, our dog is going to be dressed up like a piece of sushi later. So, Oh, well, that's member. creative. I'll, I mean, I would give Nori a candy bar. I probably shouldn't, but yeah. 
Yeah, I, I follow on your Twitter account. I'll, I'll post a picture of him in his sushi costume later. Uh, <laughs> so we need to briefly just mention, we've talked about Markel Fultz uh, repeatedly in the past few episodes. So just another update on him. Turns out he has shoulder soreness and a scapular muscle imbalance. He is out indefinitely, will be reevaluated in three weeks. More, I don't know that there's that much more to say aside from, oh, maybe he shouldn't have been playing through that. Do you agree? Well, obviously. I mean, look, any any Philadelphia first-round rookie playing in his first season is pretty abnorm. So. Right. Yeah. Just the fact that he was playing was weird. That he's sidelined right now, just is, that's just logic to me because that's, that's who you are, you guys. Every yeah. damn first-round pick is just on the bench. Okafor played. Oh, that's right true. Away. He did. That's yeah. right. Oh, oh yeah. okay. So, but, yeah. but aside from that, yes, Nerland Simmons have beat almost their entire rookie season. And I mean, now Fultz yeah, is probably going to miss, yeah, I, I'm guessing um, at least a month probably because that shoulder looked wrecked. Yeah. I mean, it, it, frankly, it's long overdue. You know, I saw, <laughs> I saw some Sixers beat writers trying to defend the medical staff because, like, yes, technically – Nothing is, like, structurally wrong with his shoulder. It's not like he has, you know, an AC joint injury or, like, a mm-hmm. rotator cuff injury. You know, it's a scapular muscle imbalance would be difficult to diagnose unless you were working with him as a physical trainer, I would assume. Uh, that said, good for the Sixers. Like, better late than never. Just get this kid right. Let him develop at his own pace, like... The, the Philly media is not very friendly, and really just the national glare, especially if you're the number one pick and they traded for you. It's just not, you know, you're not doing the kid any favors by trotting him out there at 60%. So fingers crossed that once Markel comes back, he will look like the same prospect that he that we all fell in love with heading into the draft. Yeah, I mean, look, a guy who plays 76 minutes of NBA court time and doesn't take a three something is definitely off i mean right so take all the time lord knows you haven't enough young guys to get you know who needs reps and who needs floor time Mm -hmm. so this could be a blessing in disguise having the ball in ben ben's hands a lot uh, is going to develop him quicker and more efficiently so um, it might not be the worst thing in the world yeah well we'll swing back to the sixers uh, a little bit later because they picked up a big win. They actually didn't blow a fourth quarter lead against the Houston Rockets on Monday yeah. night, which was a pleasant Hold surprise. Hold the presses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on. We, more, we got to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. We've been... You know, do we, we have to? We do because, <laughs> you know, we've been dancing around. We've been talking about, you know, the Dwayne Wade starting, going to the bench thing, Kevin Love playing center. They've been shuffling their starting lineup basically on a game-by-game basis, mm. but nothing seems to be working. So, I mean, they've lost three straight games yep. at Brooklyn, at New Orleans, versus New York at home, the latter two of which came by 19 or more points. I I think it's safe to say, <laughs> aside from you, who had Brooklyn in the playoffs, very few people had any of those teams as legitimate playoff contenders this year. Right. Uh, LeBron, after Sunday's loss to the Knicks, said, I'm going to quote this from David McManaman of ESPN. Uh, they were asking about specifically about the Cavaliers' struggle, I think, on defense. 
And LeBron said, what month is it again? October? I'm not about to go crazy about this right now. Should he be? No. No, I don't think he should go crazy about it. I agree with him that it's early and things can change. The problem is... Now, I, I've just... I have basketball reference up here. Mm-hmm. I've filtered it by the most minutes per game. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go down the roster for a okay. second of the guy who's playing major minutes. Oh, we have LeBron, and we agree right off the bat that LeBron does not play a lot of defense these days, at least not uh-huh. in the regular season. Yep. Kevin Love, not a strong defensive player. Yep. Third on the list is Derrick Rose, definitely not a strong defensive player, was one of the worst defensive players last year. Mm-hmm. J.R. Smith, he's sort of hit and miss. He has his moments defensively, which he didn't have in New York, so he's he's improved in that area since coming to Cleveland, but overall, he's not what you would call a defensive ace. Mm-hmm. Then you have Jay Crowder, strong Solid defensive player playing under 25 minutes a game. Dwayne Wade, I mean, look, he was a train wreck defensively last year. So, and he's playing 23 minutes a game. Tristan Thompson, not a shot blocker by any means, but a strong positional defender and a strong system defender. Not a guy who's going to affect a whole lot of shots at the rim. Then you get down to to Kyle Korver, who is basically a 36-year-old shooter who can do nothing but shoot. Then we have Jeff Green, also not a strong defender despite having every physical tool at his disposal. And then Iman Shumpert, who was a lot better defensively when he came into the league than he is now for some reason. Mm -hmm. So that's a hell of a lot of players right there who are not, on their own in isolation, strong defensive-minded guys who is going to take one for the team defensively and say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice my shots, I'm going to focus all in on going Tony Allen on someone's ass. Mm-hmm. that's a problem that's a problem right now and it's going to be a problem with the playoffs and like least we forget they are going to make the playoffs i mean right right so so i wouldn't be nervous about the regular season screw that i would be nervous for the playoffs so i guess i have a few follow-up questions because it, so it's worth prefacing by saying right now they're 27th in defensive rating they're yeah. allowing almost 110 points per 100 possessions they are worse than the Phoenix Suns, who could not have given a shit less on defense in the first week of the season. There's nothing that makes me think any, like, I guess you can play Crowder more minutes, but, like, you know, their one missing piece right now is Isaiah Thomas, who is recovering from a hip injury. He should be back, hopefully, in January. Isaiah also Thomas, not a strong defensive right. player. Right. <laughs> he is one of the worst, if not the worst, I think he was actually the worst defensive player in the league last year according to ESPN's Real Plus Minus. So, like, what solutions do they have, more, or are there any? Do, like, can this roster defend at even an average level, or do they basically have to go, you know, all in, we're just going to outscore you and pray to God that you just miss shots? They have a solution. It's just external. And his okay. name is Eric Blitzo. Mm. Because internally, no. Look at their point guards. Derek Rose, Isaiah Thomas, and Jose Calderon. Mm-hmm. Is that the worst defensive trio at the point guard position over the past 10 years? <laughs> I, defensively. Defen- defensively, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. 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 Like that, that, but let's let's go into like the, their defensive numbers here. They allow the second most threes a night. They mm-hmm. are allowing almost 14. They are allowing 40.2% from downtown with his 28th in the league. 
And they are also allowing a lot of ball movement because teams are averaging 26.4 assists against them. Mm-hmm. And they're not forcing teams to turn the ball over because teams are only averaging 12.7 turnovers against them. All this suggests that they are just completely in disarray defensively, which goes hand in hand with the eye test, honestly, because it just doesn't look good on that end. So to answer your question internally, no, there, there are no real solutions unless LeBron, and that would be very uncharacteristic for him, that's, that he sacrifices his offensive game and just becomes a defender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like the Bledsoe idea. We talked about that in a recent episode, so check that out if you want more thoughts on how Bledsoe would fit and what the Cavs should give up for him. I guess the next question is, they have that 2018 Brooklyn Nets pick completely unprotected. Mm. The Nets are playing better than most people expected. With LeBron possibly leaving in 2018 in free agency, mm-hmm. would you be willing to dangle that pick this year to pick up a guy who can help you defensively, knowing that you know, you're giving up a guy on a rookie-scale contract for the next four to nine years if LeBron leaves next year? I would, personally, because I believe Brooklyn is a lot better than anyone else seems to believe. <laughs> so, yes, I would, but I would also be very understandable if, if the management took the, the approach that was, we have got to rebuild when LeBron leaves. And that is going to be a valuable pick, even though it might be in the middle of the lottery if they don't make the playoffs, uh, Brooklyn, that is, um, or just outside the lottery if Brooklyn does make it. That's still a high pick. That's something you can get a useful player out of. So I get that kind of logic. And it was, I think Kobe Altman did say that he was not going to make decisions based on LeBron, right? Like mm-hmm. he was going to make decisions based on the team moving forward. Right. So that would at least indicate that that's not even something considering considered right now. Yeah. Uh, but personally, I would, yes. I mean, you have LeBron, at least for this year. You have Kevin Love. You have Isaiah Thomas. You have Derrick Rose. You have J.R. Smith, Dwayne Wade, Kyle Corbett. Like, Lord knows the offense is there. You just you, you need that damn defensive ace next to a Jay Crowder or next to a LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so the question, yeah. So who do you give up, Brian? By the way, because you have to match some sort of salary. Like they can't take on right. salary out of it. So who who's the big money man that you give up here? Oh, I think they would give up like Channing Frye or Shumpert in a heartbeat. Mm. I mean, whether another team would want that or would be willing to take those salaries on to get the Brooklyn pick, that's another question. I yeah. mean, if you want going back to the Bledsoe idea for a minute, if you know, we talked the last episode, I believe, about how uh, Phoenix wants to salary dump as well in the Bledsoe deal, presumably including Tyson Chandler's deal, maybe Brandon Knight, maybe Jared Dudley. So Cleveland could do something like Bledsoe and Tyson Chandler for Tristan Thompson, Shumpert. Would you include the Brooklyn pick for Bledsoe? Oh, that's a good one. Because... Usually when a guy's value is incredibly low and Bledsoe's is right now because of the trade request, mm-hmm. that would be a non-starter. Yeah. But just considering the circumstances in Cleveland, I would at least consider it based on what what you assume Bledsoe is going to add to the team defensively. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not... I don't think it's, like, a no-brainer either way, no, yes or no. It's, right. it's definitely, like, a tricky uh, conversation to have, but that, that's kind of where I'm thinking they have to go. It, I, I totally agree with you, Mort, that internally they have no solution. They have to make some kind of move this year to get, ideally, like, a more traditional rim protector because, you know, mm-hmm. the Kevin Love at the 5 experiment... Uh, Tyron Lue has already said, like, well, we tried it, but he can't hold up 35 minutes a game in that role. Tristan Thompson is a good rebounder, but he's never been, like, the best rim protector. I mean, he's he's good, like, he's agile enough laterally that he can switch, which is a positive, but I don't know, I just don't know if he has a role against the Warriors. I remember when he came into the league... He was labeled like this athletic shot blocker who could yeah. challenge and protect the rim, and that just never came to fruition. No, it never did. So, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, I do want to ask more. So, we agreed. There, it's it's time for, I would say it's time for mild panic about Cleveland's defense just because I don't see an in-house solution. But, mm-hmm. like, we agree they're going to make the playoffs do you think they're the front runner still in the East, or should we be considering another team as the favorite to make the finals now? Oh, the yeah, the final. That's a good one. I mean, in the playoffs, your weaknesses just gets exposed, mm-hmm. and Lord knows Cleveland's weakness is just is huge. But have, we have said over the past at least two years that their defense has been bad, right? And yet, they've made it. Mm-hmm. The Gordon Hayward injury just messes everything up. Yeah. You know, Orlando is not going to stick around with a shared one spot. Detroit is not going to stick around with a shared one spot. Washington, maybe? I don't know, but I, I, I'll i tell you this, though. At least there's a level of excitement mm-hmm. from in, in terms of the Eastern Conference for me now. Because I'm looking at the East, at the top of the East... And I'm not thinking, oh, it's Cleveland with you know with certainty, you know, Washington is in there, Toronto is in there, Boston is in there. This is the first year in a while where I've legitimately thought, okay, there's another one, there's another candidate, the candidate there, and even you can throw in Milwaukee, like yeah. Giannis, mm-hmm. the Giannis train. Come on, mm-hmm. I mean, could you imagine Milwaukee and Cleveland in a playoff series? And that could be like a second round series, right? And yeah. I'm not. I am not going to look at Milwaukee and say they're going to lose to Cleveland. No, especially in theory, they're going to get Jabari Parker back in February. Like that's basically. Then they just need to play better with him on the court than right, off. right, right. But you know, that's a if he comes back healthy and is back to the form he was showing before his most recent injury, that's a twenty point per game guy. Like that's well, yeah, be one of the biggest. You know, it's almost like a trade deadline acquisition because he's going to be only around mostly for the post-All-Star break. But, like, mm. you know, we've we've seen 30 minutes of him, or not even 30 minutes of him, Giannis, and Chris Middleton on the court together for the last year now. Like, you know, we just don't know how those three guys fit together now that Giannis has turned into Megazord and... Chris Middleton is. Back I love that to being, reference. I absolutely <laughs> love that reference. You know, Middleton's back to being like this sneaky, almost all-star caliber player. So 
yeah, like I, I'm with you. I think there are legitimately, you know, I've, I, it's really tough. I mean, I was looking at the standings today because like we're doing this thing for work. Where we have to p- predict each, you know, like the how the West and the East shakes out. And like even two weeks into the season, I'm already shuffling up what I went with preseason. Like I kind of think Boston takes the one seed now. Mm. I, I couldn't figure out where to put Cleveland. Like I nope. still, I, they could fall as low as five realistically if they don't get this defense figured out. And Isaiah Thomas has any setbacks in his recovery. Like it's not implausible that Cleveland is in a first round playoff series with Toronto or Milwaukee. I just realized something. Mm-hmm. You know, Cleveland could find a suitable solution in Milwaukee. John Henson. Oh. Yeah. Like, he's a legitimate shot blocker. Mm-hmm. He's a good rebounder. He's an underrated scorer. I mean, why not? Yeah, I guess the question there is, does Milwaukee's management want to help the Eastern Conference? Would be Well, if they get the pick back. Yeah. Oh, if they got the Brooklyn pick? Yeah. Like, let's, oh, Lloyd, not, that's not, a lot. Right. But that's not now. But like, let's assume at the trade deadline that Brooklyn looks you know, to be in the yeah. playoff hunt. Yeah. Then that value does look a little bit less and if Cleveland is panicking at that point. Right. Then I would if I'm Milwaukee, I would dangle John Henson and I would say we're willing to give up on on him, but you've got to pay through the nose. Because he's what you were missing at the four spot. Yeah. Four and five spot really. Right. I mean if I'm Milwaukee, I, shit, I'd be dangling him now. He has no he's not in my team's long-term future at all. Like Don Baker is clearly the guy they're going with in that spot. So even if you can get like, I don't think they can trade because they're 2019, I believe is going to Atlanta from the Kyle Corver deal. So the earliest they can trade is 2021. But if you trade me a lightly protected 2021 first round pick for John Henson right now, that's also, yeah. Yeah. Why not? Like, but here's the thing though, lightly protect. It has to be. Yeah protected because at that point in time LeBron right. is gone yeah 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 yeah. exactly I mean I yeah I don't know how top five protected or something like I you know I, I doubt you're getting a full lottery protection on it but also Milwaukee can't you can't demand like a king's ransom if you're Milwaukee because John Henson again is like very very evidently not part of your team's plans moving forward. He's playing 17.7 minutes a game. Like, yeah. You know. Well, my point is that Cleveland, if they're going to go to the trade market looking for a shot blocker or an overall defender, you know, teams are going to take the approach that, you know, beggars can't be choosers. We right. are going to make you pay yeah, a lot true. if you that's want true. this defensive-minded guy because Lord knows you don't have him. Um, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. They still have some time. They could go Houston on our ass. Just go all out offense. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of wondering if they. But even if they do, like until Isaiah comes back, they don't have. You know what? What are they? Their offense is not like stellar by any means right now. No, they're 14th in offensive rating. But then when Isaiah comes back, yeah, I mean yeah, that's yeah. like an, a 28 point score coming back to the lineup. So right. When he comes back, it's going to be ridiculous what we're yeah. going to see from the offensive end from the Cavs. I, I think their second half of the season stats, offensively speaking, are going to be just absurd. Yeah. 
So we agree it's not time to be in like a five-alarm panic for the Cavs. The defense is not likely to get substantially better barring a trade. Um, and we'll see what happens with the offense once IT comes back. But right now it is sure looking like the Eastern Conference playoffs are a lot more wide open than we all thought, hell, even two or three weeks ago. Thank goodness. <laughs> Indeed. Let's move on to the New York Knicks now, the other side of the Cleveland Cavaliers puzzle since they beat the Cavs on Sunday. The Knicks started 0-3 to no one's surprise. Their defense looked awful. They gave up at least 105 in each game. All of a sudden, they've now won three straight uh, at home against Brooklyn, at Cleveland, and then Monday they beat the Nuggets 116-110. to 110. Remember, Mort, when we were concerned after the Carmelo Anthony trade about how Kristaps Porzingis would fare in that number one role without much offensive support. Um, I I, I think it's safe to say those concerns have been quelled. He has 30 plus points in four of his past five. How much are you buying into this Knicks team, Mort? (laughs) The Knicks team, not a whole lot. (laughs) Still led by James Dolan, Tim Hardaway shooting 35% from the field. I mean, no, I'm not buying into them at all. It, 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 it's been a good stretch. Uh, I hope for Knicks fans' sake that it continues just a little bit so they you know, don't commit suicide by January <laughs> or something. Right. But I, I'm primarily looking at Kristaps and his development. I mean, yeah. the dude is averaging 29-8 and eight at this point and, and shooting 36% from downtown, getting to the line seven times. He's just taking over at, what, 22 years old? Yeah. Yeah, those long dudes, they, they've got it made. Him and Giannis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw the clip on Twitter, I think from, I want to say it was Monday night against the Nuggets, where he pulled up from like four feet behind the three-point line and just drilled a three. Like it was, he, it, it was Steph Curry-esque if Steph Curry was a foot taller. But that's you know, that's the thing. That's it's also a huge mis- mis- mismatch when you have a guy that size who can stroke it like that. And that's why mm-hmm. the triangle was always a ridiculous idea with him involved. Like you have to just play the pick and pop, the pick and roll, use his size, you know, make him use screens. Like he's coming off screens as at seven three, and that's how you need to use him. And right now it's just freeing him up completely. Also, shout out to Anis Kander who's been yeah. balling. Like, mm-hmm. not defensively because that's just, he's never gonna learn defense. I think right. I, I just I, that ship has sailed. I think. Yeah. But you know he's scoring fourteen points a game, almost eleven rebounds, and that's just in over a half mm-hmm. of playing time. So, getting valuable production from the center spot is is so crucial for these guys because they don't have a whole lot. Like their point guard situation is kind of fluid. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Hardaway, as I mentioned, has not really panned out so far. Courtney Lee is good, but he's also 32. Mm-hmm. So I'm not loving this Knicks team overall, but I'm I'm liking that Kristaps is getting uh, some wins. I, I think that's crucial for his development and his continued love for New York because if they were like 1-5 and, and five right now, he would probably be pissed off and really considering taking the qualifying <laughs> offer. Right, yeah. I mean, 
Hardaway did have one breakaway. Yeah, he, he broke out against Cleveland thirty four, but yeah, otherwise yeah. he has been struggling a lot. As you said, the point guard situation is in flux. Jared Jack, I believe, has started each of the last three games. Ramon Sessions started the first three. Willie Hernan Gomez, they have gotten almost nothing out of. They've played they I think they've sat yeah. him for two games. He's only yeah. averaging seven point eight minutes. No, not much from Frank Natilakina yet. Uh we figured it would take some time. He was never going to be in the rookie of the year conversation. So like you, I'm, uh, (laughs) it feels like the Knicks are a poor man's version of what Milwaukee is this year. I wouldn't, I can't even say poor man, like destitute homeless man situation in Milwaukee Mm -hmm. where one guy is just, if he continues playing at like this absurd above all-star level maybe he can you know maybe Kristaps can carry them to 35 wins I still think you know we're, we'll get to see how seriously to take them pretty soon they've got a couple I mean their upcoming schedule they're in the midst of a five-game home stretch they have Houston Phoenix Indiana Charlotte uh, one game on the road against Orlando then back home for three Sacramento Cleveland Utah then things start to get tough uh, come mid-November, they have at Toronto versus Clippers versus Toronto, uh, at Atlanta, at Houston versus Portland versus Miami. So we'll have a much better idea of just how seriously to take this Knicks team. Uh, I'd say you know within a month. Do you think more that they have a chance of sneaking into the playoff conversation as an eight seed? No, no. I think <laughs> I think this six-game sample. Of Chris Tops being, you know, otherworldly is wonderful, but I don't think he's going to maintain like a twenty-nine point scoring average. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that they are riding through him right now. At some point, he is going to get fatigued, mm-hmm. and no one else seems to be able to step up to that responsibility yet. I mean, you would have to see significantly more out of Tim Hardaway, but he was never like that. That contract he got, people were like, "Oh, okay, so he's." Now we we expect him to become like a near max production player. Well, mm-hmm. he's he's not that. He's he was never that type of player. Yeah. So if you you know grow frustrated or disappointed that Hardaway at the end of the year is sitting on like fifteen and a half points per game on like a middling efficiency, well, that's who he is. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, so so I don't think they have the the depth really to do anything about it. I am kind of curious as to why Hernan Gomez has not played more. I yeah. mean, I had him locked in as a starting center, honestly. Yep. Yep. Um, so if he gets a shot later in the year, I could see that you know they kind of picked it up a little bit because he's good. He is good. Mm-hmm. But they have a cancer. So like, what do they do? Did they move cancer at the deadline? Maybe for some perimeter help? Like, I think they are a team that should look at the trade market come February. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, because Cantor, I believe his contract expires after this year, right? Is he already a an expiring? I believe so, but... Oh, he's me... got a player option. Oh, okay. So... But For his... 18.6, but he could opt out then. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder... That's actually tricky. That's going to be... Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I mean, in this market... Back. You know, if the, in this market it's okay, right? 
18.6 million for a guy who scores at a ridiculously high level and rebounds at a ridiculously high level. Yeah. And yeah, I who guess can if like hit free throws. If uh <laughs> if this situation with Nerlens and Dallas goes completely south, you know, yeah. it it goes back to like most teams have point guard and center pretty squared away, but I guess there are more holes at center for teams than point guard, especially like you know, if the Lakers, if Brooke Lopez leaves and they strike out on their double max deal, do they go after Cantor? Do the Pelicans try to get him if Boogie leaves? Like he I guess he would have options. We'll we'll see what happens there, but I agree it makes sense to try to flip him at the deadline if you can. Hernan Gomez, uh, Jeff Hornacek, their head coach, has said he's not playing, or he's alluded to him not playing because of defensive concerns, which I just find hilarious because, like, Ines Cantor is a defensive yeah. stalwart. <laughs> so, yeah. sure, that's why. Uh, but, yeah, like you, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten more run. It's something like you. I had him, I expected him to at least be the second string center if not the starter but kylo quinn has supplanted him in that role and you know joakim noah he's riding out the rest of i believe he had 12 game suspension to start the year so he's got six more games and he'll come back like it it feels like one of those centers has to go at some point but you know i said this last time about memphis how like they're one mike conley or marcus solidry from falling apart the knicks are really if kristaps goes down for any point of time they mm-hmm. are done. Yeah. Like D O N E done. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with you in thinking they are not a legitimate playoff contender. That said, I expected them to be right there with uh with Atlanta and with Chicago and Phoenix for like one of the worst two, three, four teams in the league. So Yeah, I had them a little higher though. But I yeah. you know, just that one tier above, you know, being shitty all the way through. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. I just thought their defense was going to be a godless abomination, and it would just undermine whatever Kristaps did offensively. But so far, Kristaps is exceeding my expectations for him. So, kudos, Knicks. You got yourselves a good one. Um, all right, let's move on to the Pistons. Because my God, they you know they they started off two and one, lost to the Sixers, uh, then ripped off three straight wins. Yeah. Versus Minnesota at the Clippers at Golden State on a mm-hmm. back-to-back. We talked last time about Andre Drummond, you know, possibly actually maybe starting to figure things out from the three, three free throw line. Tobias Harris has been just on a sizzling start to the season. What else has caught your eye about this Pistons team, Mort? Well, Avery Bradley seems to be the glue. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, it seems like he has come on that team and just brought some sort of symmetry to everything. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It seems like they with, with KCP, it was always this this guy you couldn't really trust mm-hmm. offensively, at least. Like he was a good defender, but you know, I had my qualms about him defensively last year. I I also on this podcast said I wouldn't pay him twenty million a year, right? Because right. I just didn't trust his offense and. Here we have a guy in Avery Bradley who is taking a lot of shots but making them, especially from the outside. He's still a strong defender as usual. He's in his prime, and he's sort of taking this leadership role from everyone, like communicating, calling out schemes. And I just I love whatever he's doing. And he almost seems like 
he's doing what Reggie Jackson doesn't do. Like, he pinpoints and he mm-hmm. yells, like, go there, move there. Mm-hmm. He directs the flow of the game, which you really need from the guy who has the ball in his hands. But he's standing there in the corner screaming out extru- instructions, and I, I right. love it. I love it. The question yeah. to me is, should you go find a point guard who can take more of a vocal responsibility so not everything is led to Everett Bradley? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a... A fair question, even though Reggie Jackson, you know, after last season, he was just like a shell of himself with the knee tendonitis and the thumb issue. He's played pretty well, yeah. all things considered, this season. Like, 16 points, 6 assists, 4 rebounds in just under 30 minutes a game. Like, I think if you told Pistons fans coming into the year, if you gave them that stat line, they would take that in a heartbeat. Like, no. Oh, absolutely. But like, I'm just saying, like, even though he's producing... Yeah. Yeah, right. right. I mean, yeah, that's not to say they couldn't afford to upgrade to that position, but you know, compared to last year, he's been markedly better. I mm. I think you're spot on with Bradley just infusing this team with something they were missing last year. He was on uh the jump yesterday with ESPN's Rachel Nichols and company and they were asking him like, you know, Avery, like what how do you infuse that like defensive mentality? into a team and he was basically like i just lead by example i you know i bring that to practice and that makes practices more competitive and then when we get into a game situation you know we're we're more used to playing that way he credited stan van gundy for wanting to bring back that like physical scrappy style of play which really fits in with bradley's personality and style of play you know you couldn't really find a better fit between those two um i also saw Rob Mahoney of Sports Illustrated had a column today, or I think it was today, where he kind of talked about what's behind the Pistons' hot start, and he brought up this really interesting stat, which Duncan Smith of Piston Power retweeted. So they're 23rd in pace right now, but they're 3rd in field goals made and 4th fourth in field goals attempted. Yeah. So they are, they, you know, despite playing at a very low pace, they are creating havoc they are leading the league with 10 steals a game they are third in offensive rebounds with 12 per game like they are they're just creating havoc defensively led by bradley and led by stanley johnson who though he is not shooting well he's tied for second on the team with 1.6 steals a game andre drummond like not only are the free throws you know not only is he shooting 70 percent from the free throw line but he's also averaging a career high 2.6 assists per game, mm. 2.3 steals. Like he's facilitating more than he, I remember him doing before, which is helping him become more of a focal point offensively. You know, even though it seems like he's ditched some of those god awful post ups that they were trying to force for the last few seasons, and they are trying to fi- figure out new ways to get him involved offensively, aside from like run to the rim and go for offensive rebounds. So it just seems like Stan Van Gundy has really started to like unlock the potential of this Pistons team that we all thought would have like some, you know, really high upside two seasons ago when they put a scare into the Cavs in the playoffs. You know, they got swept, but every one of those games was competitive. And it, you know, last year was a setback cuz Drummond stagnated and Jackson was hurt all year and KCP just 
was the below average shooter that he always is, but swap out KCP for Bradley, put Stanley Johnson in there to actually, you know, have a longer leash and not get pulled every time he makes a bonehead mistake. Like, I don't know. I, I think this Pistons team, whereas I'm not convinced the Knicks are going to stay as a 500 level all year, I'm not convinced the Pistons stay at 5-2. and two. Like, they have the, you know, they're tied with Orlando and Boston for the best record in the East. But, like, I, I feel better about saying they are a playoff caliber team. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. Especially your point about Drummond as a playmaker is, is pretty good. I hadn't looked at that number specifically, honestly. And I'm looking into it now. His assist percentage went from 6 to 11.4. Mm-hmm. While his usage usage rate actually went down, that's that's pretty intriguing. I I've been so keyed in on his improved free throw shooting, I didn't even notice the playmaking. Yeah, yeah, I know, like he he's really you know this this shaped up as a big make or break year for the Pistons as a whole, but really for Jackson and Drummond to see like mm. whether they can be the core of this Pistons team. And so far, the early returns are pretty positive. I think it's also a question of letting Drummond, you know, establish his his own path. Like, we all had these Dwight Howard ideologies of him. Maybe he's more of a Tyson Chandler type. Mm-hmm. And he's just is a wide body instead of being that, you know, slender man that Ty is. Yeah. But mm-hmm. a, a guy who's not going to give you more than those 13, 14 points, but he's going to give you, like, 14, 15 boards, some steals maybe a block, and then maybe down the line, good positional defense, because that's yet to like become a factor of his, but right. maybe one day it'll come. So uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what the future brings for him, but I mean, we're seven games in. He needs to show me this for 50 games before I'm buying into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I agree with you, fair. like the symmetry is there, and I'm, I'm putting it all on Avery Bradley, also because I just... I, think the dude is a culture setter yeah he's he's one of those kevin garnett type of guys like when that dude comes onto your team like he sets a new routine he says i'm going to do this and this and that you can follow me and become just as efficient as me or you can't you 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 won't do it and then you're off the team in about you know a year and a half yeah that's fine i that's a culture setter i i don't mind that at all i think that's the way you do it yeah, as much as I love what J.J. Redick has brought to the Sixers, I would give Avery Bradley all of the money next year to put him on the Sixers. Like, he's, he really is, he flies under the radar because, you know, he, he's just, like, kind of the defensive scrappy guy. He's not going to go off for 30 points a game. But, like, he's actually turned into a more consistent offensive threat. Still all-defense caliber player. Like, just a great two-way guy to have around. I think, you know, the Pistons were really smart to get him and all they had to give up was Marcus Morris, which, yeah, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they won that trade by a landslide. I don't care how well Marcus Morris plays in Boston this year. That's partly why I was so down on Boston summer as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I didn't like their moves. I think they took away a lot of the heart of that team, but I mean, I can't say anything. They're number, they're right. shared number one. So, you yeah. know, uh, by the way, while we're on the subject of the Pistons, a friend of mine, he was kind of he, he was he was sent me a text and he was kind of laughing because he said you know everything you're saying about Andrew Wiggins when you're complaining about him 
You could theoretically say the same about Tobias Harris. Not a strong mm-hmm. playmaker, not a strong mm-hmm. rebounder, doesn't get a lot to the line. And that's actually a very fair assessment. Mm-hmm. So, because he's 6'9", he's big, he should rebound more and stuff like that. But that's when it comes into, like, expectations. Being drafted number one and all that. But he has a point. Like, we're looking at Tobias Harris right now. We're going, oh my god, the guy's scoring over 20. But for him to be, uh, you know, that next tier guy that he's trying to become, I would also look at the rebounding. I mean, Mm -hmm. that dude, there's no excuse for that guy not going out and getting seven a game and helping Drummond out significantly. Yeah, aside from, like, maybe it's the Drummond effect, basically, where because Drummond is averaging 14, like, Tobias Harris would probably average 6 or 7 on a normal team. Like, similar to how Blake Griffin's rebound numbers fell in the past couple of years. Yeah, with, with DeAndre. DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. Well, they're 14th in rebounding. So, yeah. I mean, it could stand to improve a little bit. Right, for sure. I, I mean, I think that's a fair point, and I think you're, you're what you said about expectations kind of shapes that narrative a little bit like you expect not only because you expect Wiggins as the number one pick to be more well-rounded but like the Pistons don't need Tobias Harris to be that do-it-all two-way guy like they have they have Drummond they have Bradley they have Jackson you know if, if Stanley Johnson ever learns to shoot a basketball like they have guys to kind of shoulder more of the load. Whereas prior to this year with the Wolves, it was like the Wiggins and Towns show. Mm. And like you expected more from him. But I mean, it's a, it's a completely fair point. I think it's really just like differences in roles mainly. Yeah. And he did. I mean, I, to your credit as well, he did average eight and a half rebounds uh, in 27 games for Orlando in the season after it was seven a game, so he's been up at that level before. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. I think the Drummond thing is that you know play, playing with a high re, high volume rebounder like Drummond, like DeAndre Jordan, hell like Nick Vucevic in Orlando. It's yeah. gonna it's gonna decrease the output for everyone else. Hassan Whiteside too in Miami. He'll have to at least not be a a problem in the playoffs if he you know you can't leave one guy with all the rebounding um, responsibility much like in you know in Miami I think Hassan was at times in previous seasons put in a in a tough spot because he was like that guy who was expected to go out and grab like 15 16 rebounds a game and it was almost like he was chasing them like individually like mm-hmm. oh I'm I'm that guy I have to go do all these things and then Udonis Haslam would have like a rare game when he played a lot of minutes and he would help out on the board and you could just see that Hassan would have like so much more confidence on the other end because, oh God, I didn't have to do everything. I didn't have to focus so intensely on rebounding. I'm just, I don't want Drummond to fall into that same category. Yeah, that's that's a very, very fair point. Uh, let's move on to the Indiana Pacers. I'd call them another one of the pleasant early surprises of the year. You know, all depot. Yeah. All off season. We mocked them for not getting more for Paul George. And I mean, six games though. Right. Like it's six, right. You have to preface this by saying it's only six games, but Victor Oladipo is having, you know, 
basically coming from this from like a fantasy basketball perspective, Oladipo, D'Angelo Russell, and Aaron Gordon were the three guys where it was just like it was so easy to prognosticate a breakout just because they were going to have a lot more opportunities. I'd say Aaron Gordon and Oladipo, all of us were even too low on, even though we were all high on them already. Because through six games, Oladipo is averaging 25.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 3.2 assists, oh. two and a half threes, almost two steals, and just 31.3 minutes per game. Like, he's not needing 39 minutes to put up those type of numbers, which is absurd. So And doing know, it without Miles Turner. Right, yeah, who's been out since the opening game with the concussion. Like they have, they beat the Spurs on Sunday. They beat the, they pounded the Wolves, 130 to 107. Mm. You know, what what do you take from this, Mort? Like, is Indiana less screwed than we thought they were a couple months ago? If his production is sustainable, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we also should mention Domantas as a bonus. Yeah. I mean, look, 13 and 10 off the bench. Oh, actually, he's starting. My fault. Right, cause, um, because Turner's hurt. Yeah. Right, hurt. right. I caught the first game, yep. um, and that's where he came off the bench. Yep. 66% from the field, you know, and doing it in 26 minutes a game. I mean, and he's actually not in that same OKC role where he's taking those corner threes. Like, he's actually mm-hmm. being allowed to operate. So, I mean... There are some definite positives for this team, and when Miles Turner get gets back and gets healthy, um, I mean, yeah, he, you can expect all the depot's production to go down, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. That just means that everything's going to be spread out a little bit more, mm-hmm. and it's probably going to give Oladipo more open shots, which is downright scary at this point when he's shooting forty seven percent from downtown. Um, I'm expecting Indiana to put up a fight. Let me just put it that way. Uh, it seems that they did not go all in on the tank train, apparently. Yeah. We thought they would, and that, that might have been the problem. Like Everyone just assumed, oh, okay, you trade Paul George, that means you are hitting the big set reset button. Mm-hmm. Maybe Indiana took a different approach, approach to it, which wasn't rebuilding, but retooling. Like It seems that way. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had that suspicion. I feel like when we did our season preview, I said they are basically going to be not good enough to be in the playoff mix, but not bad enough to be in the race for number one. Like there, mm. it felt like both their ceiling and their floor was somewhere around like the tenth through eleventh or twelfth seed in the East, and it still kind of feels that way. But do you think Indiana has a, you know, are they in the mix with like Orlando, Philly, Miami, Charlotte for those final couple seeds in the East? I mean, it's crazy too. I mean, even consider it, but at this point in time, we have Orlando and Detroit sharing the number one (laughs) with Boston, so it's pretty absurd. Let me kick that can down the road for five games. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they did this without Miles Turner, I think, is the biggest eye-opener to me. Right. Because he's another guy who I figured Paul George is gone, like, He's also going to have a breakout year. He's going to put up absurd numbers. He could be in the all-star conversation. So, you know, I, I I, mean, just in general, I think what they saw in Oladipo so far has come true. Uh, I'm not convinced that this level of production is sustainable, but I, it feels like at least, if nothing else, like 
Darren Collison was a good point guard to put around him because you can let Oladipo operate on the ball at times. Like Oladipo, sorry, Oladipo is shooting almost forty-seven percent from three-point range. Mm-hmm. I don't think that lasts the whole season. I, that no. feels like a small sample size error more than anything else. But like, you know, I, a twenty-five four, like twenty points, five rebounds, four assists, two steals. Two threes, forty three percent from downtown, maybe. Yeah, that that feels within reach. So, yeah. I'm not. I think my my overall thought about the Eastern Conference from the first two weeks of the season was, you know, all off season, especially given the the <laughs> influx of stars to the Western Conference from the Eastern Conference, people were complaining about, oh, you know the. The East is just going to be the JV side. We should recalibrate the playoffs so the 16 best teams make it in. You know, it's whatever team in the East, the seven or eight teams in the East aren't going to. I'm still on that one though. Yeah, I mean that that's an argument for another day. But like right now, there are, you know, assuming the Knicks, the Pacers, the Magic are all the Nets are all better than we thought. Like the Bulls and the Heat. Uh, the sorry, the Bulls and the Hawks yeah. are the only two like really bad teams in the East right now. In the West, the Mavericks are one in seven, the Kings are one in five, and already had one of their like rest of the veteran days, aka tank the shit out of a game. Right, the Suns, you know, they won two after firing uh, Earl Watson, but. Eric Bledsoe still remains in purgatory. Like this, still is going to be a bad team for most of the year. The Lakers are two and four. Lonzo Ball is shooting like thirty percent from the field. Like I would argue, there are more truly bad teams right now in the West than there are in the East. Yeah, but we're thirteen days into the season. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I'm just saying, like. I know. The, I mean, the game I would love thought. for you to be right because yeah. it would be nice to have a strong Eastern Conference. But at the end of the day, when it comes to to depth in the playoffs and stuff like that, it's like when you look at the playoff teams mm-hmm. from the West compared to whoever is going to be in the playoff t- picture from the East, it's just going to be night and day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm not saying that Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be as entertaining as the West. I don't, I don't oh, think that's true God, at all. No. God, but oh, unless unless Giannis, yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah. I just think there are far fewer pushover teams in the East than we thought there were heading into the year. That I agree with. Okay, yeah. Um, let's turn our attention to one Western Conference team, the Los Angeles Clippers. Zach Lowe wrote a typical Zach Lowe amazing column about them yesterday. So read that if you want to go way in depth on them i just want to talk about them because you know not only did they lose to the pistons on saturday but then the golden state warriors came to town on monday and did what the golden state warriors always do to the los angeles clippers blew them out 141 to 113 is that sign for concern mort or are you buying in you know the clippers started 4-0 but they beat the lakers Phoenix, Utah is a good win, and then they squeak by Portland on the road. If but. I should get nervous by a, for any team that is just completely owned by Golden State, yeah. I would be nervous for 29 NBA franchises. <laughs> Reasonable. 
Yeah. Uh, I will say this. Their reshuffling is was needed, and that's yeah. fine. But it seems like they're not really taking full advantage. They're not playing Montressel Harrell a whole lot. They're not playing Sam Degger a whole lot. In fact, those two are the guys who have seen the court time who are getting the fewest minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really understanding why, because they are clearly rotation-caliber players. Yeah. And you, right now you're playing Blake 34 and a half minutes, mm-hmm. and you're playing Gallinari 35 and a half minutes. Like, you could afford to bump those down a little bit. Yeah. I would rather have those two guys, Decker and Harrell, come in, take some of the pressure off them and some minutes off them, so their bodies are more prepared for when come playoff time, because... They're not going to miss the playoffs, I think, with Blake playing the way that he does right now. I do have them as a candidate of potentially missing out, but Blake right now is is just out of his damn mind. So, uh, is it sustainable that they're, you know, four and two? Not, not maybe not. I think they're going to finish just a bit over five hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, like fifty five percent winning percentage, mm-hmm. which should be enough for like the eighth or seventh seed probably. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So, I mean, nervous and nervous. I just want their development to kind of proceed. And you don't develop by not playing two of your best young studs. And that includes Juwan Evans, by the way. I'm truly shocked that Doc Rivers is playing veterans over young guys. I would have never expected that. I know, but (laughs) I was just, I was kind of hoping that reshuffling was... yeah kind of a wake-up call for him and of, of course it wasn't you know right. you yeah. know playing his own son 32 minutes a game mm-hmm. despite him shooting 36 percent right from the field and still not being able to hit three throws i mean sure austin rivers has a role i'm not saying he shouldn't play yeah but i not he's not a 30 minute type of guy player right you would, he's would just hope not. not. Yeah. I no, mean. exactly. And I know Tio Dosic is out and all that, but right. you just have those guys who are all nearing 30 or are above 30. Mm-hmm. You could just use that little bit of youth injection. Yeah, for sure. Like, Gallo feels like you're really playing with fire. I mean... Oh, yeah. It's like he's shooting 34% from the field. Like, maybe play him four fewer minutes a game and get Decker out there a little bit more, give him more of a breather and maybe his efficiency goes up. Like it might be at this point in the season that they have so many new pieces that doc just wants them to get familiar with one another. And then when we get to the dog days of the season in January and February, then he starts relying on the young guys a little more, like just relying on the veterans to give them an early boost. And then, you know, once their schedule softens up a little bit, like, but shit, I mean, you can't really start with a, with a much softer start than at Lakers and versus Phoenix at home. Like, you know, they get they get the Mavericks on Wednesday, so that should be an opportunity to get some of the young guys some burn. Mm. But I think you're spot on, Mort. Like, that is, so far, that's my biggest concern. You know, whatever about the Warriors, like, the Warriors just, seem to have their number and at this point it's just so early in the season it's hard to get that worked up given you know how how familiar the warriors are with each other like they they only added three end of the bench rotation players whereas the clippers are basically a whole new team like talk to me in march if the clippers get blown up by the warriors again and that might have some actual playoff implications um 
But, you know, frankly, the Clippers could just pray like hell they, they avoid the Warriors side of the bracket. So if, you know, God willing, if they make it to the Western Conference Finals, that will be the earliest they meet the Warriors. That would be their their best and, bet. And to your Gallo point earlier, mm-hmm. without going, you know, on to basketball reference and looking, how many times in his career do you think he's played more than 65 games? Ooh. Ah, uh, boy. This is his 10th year. He's missed one full season. Yeah. More than 65? Yeah, more over 65. I'll go with... I want My gut says four, but I'm going to say five. Two. Whoa! <laughs> my God. He oh, played boy. 81 games when he was 21 in his sophomore season. Then he played mm-hmm. 71 games before he missed the entire season. And that's wow. it. Damn. Beyond that, he's not broken 65 games. So sure, Doc Rivers, <laughs> go take your guy and play him 35 and a half goddamn minutes when <laughs> you right. know, when he's you aging. and <laughs> legitimate options off the bench who you could use as a small right. forward. Like, right. To your point, Decker and Harrell were both actual rotation players in Houston last year. And Houston was a yeah. good team that better made, than the Clips, <laughs> right? Like they they made the Western Conference semifinals. Like they were a legitimate mm-hmm. playoff, you know, like a legitimate title hopeful. We thought they were the yep. third best team in the West last year. And you can even play Montressel Harrell as a small ball five because yeah. he's athletic and he runs and he's he's one of those energy guys that you really need. Right. So when he's sitting on the bench, all that energy just goes to shit. Uh, right now, Doc Rivers might have looked at his team and gone, okay, we're four and two. Mm-hmm. We don't need it. But when they start to struggle at some point, and they are going right now, I mean, look, the two losses in a row, that was pretty, you know, th- they could use something for the next game. I mean, they got beat up by, what, 28 against Golden State? Was yeah. it a 28 yep. point? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So when they play Dallas tomorrow, why not? I mean, Get the young guys in there. Get Montressel going. Get some energy in there. I mean, they could use it even if they're going up against with one or seven. Right. It doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. I mean, after that, they have Memphis and Miami at home. Three game road trip against San Antonio, OKC, New Orleans. So I, frankly, don't expect to see many rotation changes until the middle of the month. But then. They get Philly at home on the 13th, and then a five-game road trip. Cleveland, Charlotte, Knicks, Atlanta, Sacramento, home against the Lakers. That's where you can start to see some young guys. So in which of those games does Gallo go down? I'm going to say against San Antonio. <laughs> That's messed up. Well, is Kawhi back by then? Ugh, let's hope so, because yeah. my MVP uh, prediction is basically dead at this yeah, point yeah it's taking on water really anyone who didn't pick Giannis is in trouble but you so and Sarah, 99% of all of us right yeah. right all right let's briefly touch upon uh the fight between Draymond Green and Bradley Beal on Friday uh Warriors played the Wizards at one point Bradley Beal looked like he kind of raked Draymond Green across the face. Draymond took exception, kind of bull rushed Bradley and knocked him into the photographers, and they got into a little scuffle. Uh, 
players from both sides immediately rushed over to try to break it up. Kelly Oubre seemingly... Punched John Wall. Right, like started just <laughs> throwing punches left and right and hit his own teammate. Um, <laughs> I believe the only... So Dre, Beal, Oubre all avoided a suspension. Uh, Marquise Morris, who is actually not even active right now because he is coming back from a sports hernia surgery... He got a one-game suspension for leaving the bench. Um, and oh, he... could we get away with that rule? Yeah, I know. It's so dumb. For, for I mean, I, I understand the point, especially after Malice in the Palace, but, I mean, yeah. the dude's not even, like, whatever. They're, they're just going to say he's healthy a game early. So it sounds like Morris is, could come back as early as Wednesday, which means his, he used to be suspended Wednesday and play Friday. Right, um, but do you agree just in general, Mort, with no suspensions? Yeah, for that one. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about the Gordon Hayward injury when it happened, and I was like, you know, uh, the whole people hating player or hit players hating players stuff. You know, people talk a lot about, you know, we sh- we want to see the hatred between one another and stuff like that, and and it was nice to see players come together because of the injury and yada 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 right but i will say this fighting has always been a part of the nba and as long as we don't see like a rudy tomjanovic situation Mm -hmm. and where you know i would rather see players lock themselves up yeah like like this this happened here like go wrestling basically (laughs) right right i mean because when they are just locked in tight and they fall down you don't have that whole, you don't have all that you know space to throw a punch and whatnot. Yeah, and I I have a feeling that it's intentional. Yeah, like, for sure. I I don't think any one of those guys wants to throw a punch because they know that oh my god if I throw a punch and it lands perfectly yeah. I'm out for 25, 30 games. Right. And on the other side I don't want to get punched because <laughs> right. then I might be out for fifteen games with a facial fracture. Hi, Bobby Portis. Um, <laughs> I was wondering when that yeah. got a shout-out. Yeah. Um, don't murder me, Bobby. <laughs> so, I agree with the no suspensions because, you know, it. I don't want to penalize players from also being human. Yeah. And right. that was like a fair reaction. I mean, he got it wrong. Draymond got it wrong because yeah. it wasn't intentional. Right. But that was a hard smack. Yeah. And it came out of nowhere. From like he was boxing Beal out, it seemed, right, and then suddenly right. it just came. And I, I could imagine being Draymond and then getting that slap, which was a hard one. I would have done the exact same thing. I would have turned around and gone like, "What the are you doing?" <laughs> right, right, right. And I mean, yeah. Then Dre escalated it, but that's Dre. Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't have ex- if he had just stood up and looked at Bradley like, "What do you what did what are you doing?" Mm-hmm. I would have gone like, who has like, where is Draymond Green, and who just took possession of his body? Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I mean, thankfully no one threw punches that landed aside from Kelly Oubre onto his own teammate. Um, yeah, let's suspend Kelly Oubre one game. That right. would be hilarious for, <laughs> yeah. for hitting his own teammates unintentionally. Yeah, right, right. Hey, Bobby got eight for. Well, I guess that was intentional. That was but, very intentional. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I agree with your overall point. It was ultimately relatively harmless. You know, look, I mean, shit, look at a hockey game. Like, they openly encourage people to throw off their helmets and fight oh, at but least once a game. That's because, Brian, it's okay when white people do something. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. 
Yeah. And also, they're not going to get brain damage because they're wearing helmets. That's right. totally how it works. Yeah. Keep, it's... keep living in denial, NHL. Yeah, yeah. Those those helmets sure are just lifesavers, and it doesn't matter that no one has teeth after a 13-year playing career. And Right. Right. Uh, those helmets protect the brain from slashing around inside your skull. Totally. Yeah. It's, that's yep. exactly yep. how science works. Yep. Gary Bettman, MD. Uh, all right, let's finish things up with our crushes of the past few days. These are guys who deserve some more love than they've been getting in the national spotlight. Who do you have your zero crush this week, Mort? Well, I've actually already talked a, a lot about him, and I shouldn't have. I should have saved him. Avery uh-huh. Bradley. Okay, that's a good one. But, I mean, the dude is just, he's everywhere offensively defensively and he's becoming that emotional center of the pistons um Mm -hmm. how can you not go with him especially given that they're winning right now yeah that's that's a fair one and i actually realized i promised we would circle back to the sixers and you before we started recording you were talking singing the praises of a certain sixer so if you want to do that here as well be my guest i i was considering putting timofei luawo how did how is that last name there because i can't pronounce the second part of his last name what's it, what is it i believe it is cabaro cabaro okay mm-hmm. i was used to just calling him luawu then he added that second right. part tlc tlc yeah there yeah go. all right so i've always liked him coming in to when he was entering the draft you know last year mm-hmm. I, I was just crazy about him he's great size sneaky athleticism comes from a great program um and he had a sort of like a you know pedestrian rookie season and it was for not a very strong philly team so i kind of get that he's got lost in in the shuffle because of all the the young guys there Mm. and then last night against houston i finally saw a change in how uh, philly has been playing him he became the target of passes instead of like this Scotty Pippen clone esque that they tried to make him be, you know, or make him become. He like he they've used him sort of as a playmaker, like to a guy who's just coming in and you know setting guys up. They've used him a much like Andre Iguodala, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I get the fascination with that. I get having a utility guy. Mm-hmm. But when they were actually looking for him when he was cutting to the basket and finding him when he was open in the corner, he just got that much more useful because when he started hitting shots, I, he finished with 17 points in under 17 minutes. It just opened up the entire floor. Like Ben Simmons yeah. had driving lanes. Joel Embiid was able to create something down on the block because teams were sort of hesitant. Oh, you know, TLC has just hit a couple shots. I mean, and he's sneaky and he moves without the ball. I better look at him and make sure that he's not cutting when I'm not seeing him. I mean, it just opens it up a little bit more. You have to be offensively a threat whenever you're on the court. Like mm-hmm. that, That's also why you could always high players on Tony Allen and that type of player. So you just need to use TLC a little bit more. Timothy is a good cutter. He's a you know he's a developing shooter, but he's got like everything going for him at that end. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him become a forty percent shooter yeah. from the outside. I mean the the motor is there, you know the mechanics are fine. I just want to see him become like the target of an offensive system instead of being the setup guy. Like get him some layups, get him right. some open shots. I think he's just so much more valuable in that role. Yeah, I completely agree, and it's I was saying this to you before we started. It's just. It's amazing how much more efficient 
basically everyone is on Philly now that they have an above-average point guard passing to them in Ben Simmons. And shit, I mean, TJ McConnell has been playing really well the past week, too. Like He started shooting, boy. Yeah. It's just... The whole team has been revitalized by mm. Ben Simmons. So, like, I'm not going to choose Ben Simmons for my crush this week. He's my perma-crush, like, all season. I just wrote a big thing about him at B-Ball Breakdown, so check that out if you want to read more about him. Like... He really is exceeding my wildest expectations. So he has like breathed new life into all of these other guys because as you said, Luau can work as a cutter and a slasher a lot more, yep. which, you know, until he has more confidence in that three point shot, that's a perfect role for him. And he's proved really effective in that role last night. Jared Bayless, like holy hell, Jared Bayless is like an actual legitimate piece on this team. He missed most of last season with the wrist injury, but like you know, with faults out, they need someone to be that starting point guard. Bayless played a team high forty minutes last night. Like he's mm. he you know, once Fultz is back and healthy, like in theory Fultz will be taking those crunch time minutes, but Bayless is playing better than, you know, anyone probably thought he would heading into the year. And Bead is Joel Abid. Like he's you know, yep. he's he's just doing Joel Abid things and like at the end I'm most encouraged by the Sixers last night against Houston. You know, they they had that huge late game meltdown last week. And it really seemed like they took that to heart last night. Like they they last time they seemed like they were playing not to lose and they got really conservative offensively and they were not getting the ball to Embiid in the block down low late in the game. Last night they just continued running their offense and they made a point of getting the ball to Embiid where he just went to work and he like he's just he's just too goddamn big. Like, that's really what it comes down to. He's too big and he's too skilled. And he's not settling for jumpers. The first couple games of the year, he was really just settling for threes and not really working his way into the post. But, like, if he gets within 10 feet of the rim, there's a better chance than not that ball's going in the basket. So... I do do think he settled a couple of times last night, but I still... Here's the thing with Embiid that bothers me. Not not Embiid specifically, but the perception of Embiid. Mm-hmm. People look at him sort of like he's an old veteran because of the two years that he missed. Yeah. Like, he's still 23. He's still learning. Mm-hmm. So the shot selection IQ is going to go up. Yep. I mean, the fact that he took a couple of weird, you know, step-back, fadeaway, mid-range jump shots, which he does have a tendency to do... Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of him feeling the game out, learning yeah. okay what's working, what's not working, and I don't mind as long as it doesn't come at a, at the expense of a ball game. Like yeah. if you are in the hunt for a win, then you better know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, like when push came to shove, he was like, "Nope, let me get in here, let me get down and dirty near the rim where I know I can be effective." So, yep. it's coming along nicely. Yeah. Pairs up that everyone stays healthy. Uh, so for my crush, uh, for this episode at least, I was torn between Jonathan Simmons, who I think deserves a shout-out, even though I'm not going to mm. choose him. i playing incredibly well, big part of why the Magic have started off on such a hot streak. I got to go with Jeremy Lamb, though. Love both. Yep. Yeah. Because we, you know, heading into the season, we talked about Charlotte and how... We thought they were a playoff contender, but we were concerned where the offense would come if not from Kemba Walker 
Then Nick Batum goes down with the elbow injury, out six to eight weeks, probably isn't back until December, and we were like, "Uh uh-oh, you know, they play in the East, so they're probably still going to make the playoffs, but now are they like the eight seed? Are they going to be fighting for their playoff lives? Then Jeremy Lamb comes into the starting lineup. Yep. Through the first seven games, averaging 17 points on 45% shooting, Mm -hmm. five rebounds, three assists, uh, about a three and a half, like... Guy is playing incredibly well, and you know the the knock against him when he was in OKC was that he was just so inconsistent. You didn't know what you were getting out of him on a night to night basis. He's hit at least sixteen points in each of his last five games. Like he's been a steady source of complimentary offense, which is what they need. And it makes me wonder now, you know, if you're Charlotte, what do you do when Nick Batum comes back? Like is is Lamb playing so well that you have to keep him in the starting lineup? Do you shift Michael Kidd Grillchrist to the forward? Do you keep Marvin Williams in the starting lineup? Do you put Batum off the bench? Like, it's a good problem for Steve Clifford to have. I don't think the, it is a problem. You start Kemba, Lamb, Batum, uh, Marvin Williams, and Dwight. I bring MKG off the bench. Yeah, why not? Yeah, it's you know I I wouldn't I would have thought that Lamb and Monk would have been kind of your instant offense guys off the bench heading into mm-hmm. the year. But now I just, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what Clifford does once Batum is healthy. Because I, I think Lamb is playing so well that you almost can't take him out of the starting lineup right now. Maybe he hit, you know, maybe this is just an early season hot streak and he cools off, at which point the decision becomes a lot easier. But right now... I mean, he's he's a big part of this Charlotte team, and this Charlotte team, you know, they're they are right. They're four and three, like they're right in the playoff mix. So, shout out to Jeremy Lamb and shout out to Charlotte for weathering the storm. You know, with with the unfortunate hand they were dealt coming into the year with Batum's injury. I'm just glad that Jeremy Lamb listened to me because when I think it was in the podcast with Matt Moore. Mm-hmm. When we talked about Charlotte, uh, could be mistaken. We had so many guests on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always remember. But I made the point that it feels like this is a make or break year for Jeremy Lamb. Mm-hmm. And I always liked his per 36 numbers. Yep. He's he's a tremendously gifted rebounder for a guy 6'5". Mm-hmm. And to me, that's always like a, a strong thing in the NBA. Because if you are a small guy who can out rebound your position you should have a home regardless like if you can then create some sort of offense simultaneously then you should have a 10-year playing career like he's doing that and he's also playing within the confounds of a, of a, of a system like he's not playing outside of the offense mm-hmm. like he's integrating himself he's a playmaker he's active defensively like fair enough he's not tony allen on that end but he's not bad i mean he's He's doing a lot of good things from a, uh, a, a team scheme perspective. Mm-hmm. And he's hitting the three ball. Yeah. So, I mean, he's virtually doing everything. Yeah, I know. It's I'm, I'm pleasantly, you know, I, I had Charlotte comfortably in the playoffs. And I'm pleasantly surprised with how well they've played, even without Batum, who is frankly probably their second best player last year. So here's a question for you. If Jeremy Lamb continues to play this way Mm -hmm. you know 17 points a little over five rebounds three assists 
And he's even doing this in just 31 minutes. Like, if his minutes load increases a little bit and his offensive volume increases, is he an all-star candidate? Ooh. <sighs> that feels steep. Yeah, it does. I would but... have to... Because, like, you're, you're still taking probably Eric Gordon, Oladipo over him. Right. Like, I mean... Well, I didn't say an all-star. I said all-star candidate. Candidate, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's at least within, like, the conversation of, the you know, whatever, 25 guys who are going to be in that mix. Like, you're probably not taking any... You're not taking anyone from Chicago. You're not taking anyone from Atlanta. You know? Are you telling me that Laurie Markinen is not? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lloyd Laurie is an all-star in our hearts, but not, not in the real all-star game. Yeah, I mean, it, that's a fair question. I think, you know, he's he's at least playing well enough to be mentioned in that conversation. Hell, Dwight Howard, you know, 14 yep. points, 15 rebounds, almost two blocks a game. Like, mm-hmm. he looks revitalized in Charlotte. Like, this is... It's well, a career low from the line, right? Well, I mean, what else is new? Dwight Howard yeah. can't shoot free throws. but Well, at least he was at, you know, a 53% last year. Like, he was yeah. way more <laughs> right. impressive than, you know, DeAndre Jordan and Andre Drummond types, notwithstanding yeah. this season. But, yeah. No, but my point about asking you regarding like, Jeremy Lamb is just like, had I asked you that question last year? Oh, yeah. Right, you <laughs> right. know? right. Yeah, it would have been comically... Right. Yeah, like, I mean, what? Last year he averaged less than 10 points a game. Like, he's almost doubled his average so far, Mm -hmm. but he's also doubled his minutes. Like, it it really, it just begs the question, what happened? You know, like, does he keep this role in the lineup once Batum is back? But if he keeps playing this well, I don't know why you would, like, why, why break or why fix something that isn't broken? Yeah, we should. So, we don't have a like a theme song or like an intro music, but we should just have what a difference a year or, or a day makes. Yeah, and then just put out year instead of day because <laughs> it, we have so many guys who just year to year look so different, and yeah. I'm really enjoying it when it's the positive way. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. No, it's a it's a credit to a bunch of NBA teams player development staff for not giving up on guys too early. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was I was once a Bulls fan. What is that? Right. Player de- devel <laughs> I'm not sure. Hey man, Chris Dunn is back. Just wait. Yeah. What what you said you said it earlier. D U N, huh? Dunn. <laughs> you look well, you look great. Mm. That that is a perfect place to wrap up today. Uh, so thank you all for listening. Again, you can find us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. Please give us a follow there. You can also and find on our, Facebook and on Facebook. Yes, we are on Facebook. Yeah. Um, our, our Twitter handles are also in our Twitter bio, so give us a follow as well. You can find us on iTunes. So please subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We would love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports. So check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. Until next time, I'm Brian Taporic and I was joined by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. You too, Brian. I am going to make sure that no kid rings my doorbell. <laughs> Prayers up. I'm loading my shotgun. <laughs> All right. Take it easy. 
Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's... A burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.